Jesus, thank you for the good news that you are our deliverance. Chains shall you break. And Lord, help us to understand your love and your victory a little bit more tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, hello to those of you in the lobby, those of you at home online, those of you in the community center, all of you here. Thank you for joining us on Christmas Eve. A few weeks ago, I was with a friend that I hadn't seen for a while, and he asked if I'd had any fun lately. And I said, well, yeah, actually, in October, my wife and I went to New York for our anniversary. And he said, you didn't see Hamilton, did you? It's the Broadway show, hit Broadway show. And I said, actually, that's why we went. And he said, I hate you. I want to see it. And then he said, well, did you take your kids? And, and I said, no, we had to spend their college fund to afford the tickets. So, <laughs> no, they couldn't come. And I said, you should save up and you should go. You'd like it. And he said, yeah, and you know what would be really great would be to do that and also see the Stephen Colbert show. And I said, oh, we did that too. <laughs> he said, I'm never asking you about your free time again. What that shows is that we don't always have what we want. Well, in that case, I had what I wanted, but he didn't have what he wanted. And I think at Christmas especially, we all probably have these memories, of not, as childhood memories of not getting what we wanted at Christmas and instead getting socks or underwear or something like that. And it's a little like that the first Christmas. Lots of unasked for gifts. But what that first Christmas also shows is that some of life's best, most joyful gifts are unwanted at first. So, for instance, the first Christmas shows that God doesn't always bless our plans as much as we want him to, but redirects us toward his bigger purposes of healing this world. When the angel tells Mary that even though she's a virgin, she's going to have a child who's going to be God in the flesh, which is a tall order to believe, but the God who made all of this could certainly do that as well. Mary says, may it be to me according to your word. Those are some of the bravest words in the Bible. Because in that culture, to be pregnant and unmarried, the penalty for that was death. See, Jesus is no tame God who comes to give us nice, comfortable, middle-class lives. No, no, no. If the only difference Jesus makes in your life is that you go to church, you haven't met the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus will redirect our plans to his bigger purposes of healing this world. Mary did not get what she wanted at Christmas. She got so much more. She got to see her son do miracles, see him raised from the dead, got to be part of healing this world. See, we get, we get focused on money and success and getting into this school or that school, and all of those are good things, but Jesus just gives us so much more. I heard a story about a man who told his kids that they were going to go to Junction City, Kansas, where he grew up. And he said, it'll be great, there's a swimming pool, there's a bowling alley, and his kids were pretty young, so they got excited about this and bragged to all of their friends, we're going to Junction City, Kansas. <laughs> Meanwhile, he secretly made plans to drive from there onto Disney World. So they spent an afternoon in Junction City, and he showed them the sights, such as they were, and, and then he said, surprise, right? We're, we're going to drive on to Disney World, thinking that they'd be super excited. Instead, they said, oh man, who wants to get back in the car? I thought we were going bowling. And he just kind of fumed all the way to Florida. I think so often God is trying to give us Disney World, but we choose Junction City, Kansas instead, which is dumb. And I'm just hoping that no one is from there tonight, here. 
God redirects our plans to his bigger purpose. The second unasked for gift is that God includes people that we might not. The first page of the New Testament is a list of names of Jesus' ancestors, and it includes four women, which is unusual because Jewish genealogies were always just men. And the four were Tamar, who committed incest, Ruth, who was an immigrant, Rahab, a prostitute and also a foreigner, and Bathsheba, with whom King David committed adultery. So in that culture, all of that made them gender outsiders, because they were women, and racial outsiders, because two of them were foreigners, and three are moral outsiders because of their behaviors. And the men on that list are even worse, murder, adultery, oppression. And this is shocking, especially because back then your resume wasn't your accomplishments, it was your family history. And people would polish their resumes then, just like we do today, and would leave out the embarrassing parts of the family tree. But Jesus includes them. And what that means is I don't care how badly you or I have messed up. I don't care if you are on the paid staff of hell. If you come to Jesus, he forgives you, includes you in his family, and gives you a new future. One of the issues my wife and I faced raising our kids was how to tell them that I was married before and divorced. And I, you know, I was a little nervous, like, what, you know, what would they think about that and all of that? We decided to say something whenever the subject of divorce just came up naturally in the conversation. It never did. Right? And they kept getting older and older, and we knew we had to tell them because the whole church knows. <laughs> right? So, it, you know, they were going to find out eventually. So finally, one night, we were talking about school or something else, and, and just completely unrelated to anything, I just blurted out, I'm divorced, right? And they're sort of like, the stick is blue, and other non sequiturs, like, it made no sense, right? And then one of them said, well, did you have any kids? And I said, no, and they said, oh man, it would have been cool to have siblings we don't know about. <laughs> and then my youngest said, yeah, maybe better than the ones we have now. Then they just went back to talking about what they were talking about before. And I was like, aren't you traumatized? Don't you need therapy? Like, <laughs> I think it's the same with Jesus. Those things we've done or that we haven't done that we're ashamed of. Jesus says, yeah, I paid the price for those on the cross 2,000 years ago. You're forgiven. Can we change the subject? The third unwanted gift of Christmas is that God doesn't always deliver us from our problems. Instead, he makes us warriors. And warriors don't ask for deliverance. Warriors ask for victory. In the Christmas story, King Herod feels threatened by Jesus' birth, so he has all the babies in Bethlehem killed. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they had to flee, become Middle Eastern refugees to Egypt. All was not calm. All was not bright. Jesus stepped into a world of pain and poverty and violence to heal it. And God doesn't deliver them from that. Instead, he makes them brave. In fact, Christmas shows that God himself is brave. Only Christianity says that courage is an attribute of God because no other religion requires a God with courage. But when God came to us in Jesus, he made it as hard on himself as possible, born into poverty, died a criminal's death. And what gave him the courage to do that was his fierce, unrelenting love for you and me. Researcher Brene Brown talks about going through a tough time in her life, so she went to church, and she said, but I didn't want Jesus. I wanted a God who would take away my pain. Instead, I found in Jesus a God who said, maybe it'll be hard, 
but I'll help, and my people will help, and I'll bring good things out of it. She said, faith wasn't an epidural. It was a midwife who stood next to me and said, push, it's supposed to hurt a bit. <laughs> and at the end, you get something really beautiful. Now that said, sometimes God really does intervene in miraculous ways. I have a friend who was miraculously healed of an eye injury through prayer, another healed of cancer. Yeah, God can do that and sometimes does. But other times, he fills us with a supernatural courage and joy. Like a man I know whose father traveled a lot. So his parents would write letters to each other. This was back in the day when you wrote actual letters. And, and they'd write, I love you, on the outside of the envelope. Well, after a while, they thought that was kind of mushy to do that. So they just started writing the number three on the envelope for those three words, I love you. When this man was in school, he'd reach into his lunch bag and a slip of paper would fall out with the number three on it. His mom's way of saying I love you without embarrassing him in front of his friends. Well, when he was an adult, his mom gave him a Bible and he just put it on the shelf and kind of forgot about it. 25 years later, his mother died at Christmas, which made Christmas time a hard season for him for the years following that, as it is for many people. Well, a few years after that, at Christmas, the pastor at his church did a sermon on 1 Corinthians 13. Famous love passage in the Bible, read at weddings, love is patient, love is kind, all of that. And he said, memorize it. So this guy went home, and instead of opening his usual Bible, God just nudged him to open that Bible that his mom had given him years before. And he opened to that passage, and out fell a slip of paper with the number three on it in his mom's handwriting. And he said it was the best Christmas gift ever. His mom wrote that note decades earlier, but God arranged the timing just for him so that when he most needed it, he saw that note. And he knew he wasn't alone, that God was with him, and that made him brave. People who follow Jesus don't move in fear. We move in faith because Jesus makes us brave. Which brings me to the last unasked for gift at Christmas, and that is that Jesus doesn't leave us in our comfort zone. Instead, just like he was born into a world of pain to heal it, he sends us into his world to be healers in his name. Jesus said he came to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, and liberty to those who are oppressed. That's a revolution. Early Christians were the first people in history to reconcile races and practice racial reconciliation and care for the poor. Today, Christians are taking the lead in fighting poverty and human trafficking. And to us, compassion is a good thing, but only because Jesus made it so. Because see, up until Jesus, compassion was considered weakness, a character defect, but Jesus made it strength. I know an African-American man, I'll call Gary, who lives here on the east side in a neighborhood where there's been some racial tension between Hispanic, black, and white people. And one night, a 16-year-old Hispanic boy came over to his house and asked for help tying a tie for a school presentation the next day, and he didn't have a dad to show him how. So Gary showed him, and then the boy asked, do you have a pair of black shoes that I could borrow? And Gary said, immediately, I thought of my brand new expensive shoes that I hadn't even worn yet, and I really didn't want to give those to him. So Gary went upstairs to look for a pair of shoes, any other pair of shoes than those, but he made a mistake. He told his wife what he was doing. And she said, oh, just give him the new shoes, right? So he brought them downstairs, hoping that they wouldn't fit, but like Cinderella, they fit perfectly. And then God nudged him not to lend the shoes, but to give them to this kid, which he did. 
Well, a few weeks later, Gary and some of his friends felt God nudging them to start a Bible study for the kids in the neighborhood. And the first week, seven kids showed up, led by the 16-year-old boy wearing his new shoes. And then the next week, 14 showed up, and then it just grew from there. And Gary and his friends started mentoring them and helping them in school and being stand-in dad for those kids who didn't have a dad. And they're finding racial healing and racial reconciliation because in that Bible study, black, Latino, and white kids are loving each other and influencing the adults around them to do do the same, which is bringing racial healing to an entire neighborhood. It's not what Gary wanted. He just wanted his shoes. But he got so much more. Friendships that will last forever. He's helping kids in school so that they can have a future. He's part of racial healing, which is so needed in our country right now. Jesus is making all things new through Gary. I've been around the world, and I have seen whole villages set free from poverty by Jesus' people. Marriages and families restored. People who are bored, given bigger lives. That's what Jesus does. And what it all kind of boils down to is nobody's perfect, but everybody's welcome, and with Jesus, anything is possible. There's no mistake that can't be redeemed, no person outside of his love, no problem that he can't overcome, no adventure too big for him. So if you know Jesus, I would encourage you to let him mess with you, get you out of your comfort zone, and make you part of healing this world. That's his mission. That's what he came to do on Christmas Day. And yes, that's harder, but it's also bigger, deeper, richer, And if you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to get to know him. Ask a friend. If we can help here, we would love to help you with that. Just get to know him because he will rock your world. He will change your life. I'll close with this. Earlier this fall, my wife and I were watching the last game of the World Series between the Chicago Cubs and Cleveland. And as you know, it's been 108 years since the Cubs won a World Series. And so I really wanted the Cubs to win. I mean, after a century, don't you think they, they deserve it, right? Well, it all came down to that last game, and the Cubs were ahead by three runs, and my wife said, I want Cleveland to get one more run, a dignity run. And I said, stop it. You'll jinx it, right? Well, you know what happened. Cleveland didn't get just one more run. No, no, no. They tied the game, and then it went into extra innings, and then there was a rain delay, and the camera would show the crowd in the stadium, and they were all stressed and kind of, I mean, they paid a lot of money to be that miserable, right? And so I said to my wife, this is your fault. You rooted for Cleveland. And she said, what? My rooting for a team never makes any difference. It doesn't make them play any better. Look at the Mariners. (laughs) And I was just sitting there thinking, a dignity run, she said. It'll be fun, she said. Here's the theological point. There is one. The Cubs won. The Cubs won, and I got to admit, Probably the fact that it was so dramatic made that game one of the best in baseball history. And here's the other theological point. If the Cubs can win the World Series, anything is possible. (laughs) Mariners 2017, I believe. But more than that, with Jesus, anything really is possible. In your life, in mine, in this world, there's nothing that can't be healed. There's nothing that can't be made bigger, better, richer, deeper because of Jesus. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's welcome. And with Jesus, all things will be made new. So Jesus, thank you that Christmas was your D-Day where you launched a rescue mission 
to get us back, to make all things new and to change this world. Lord, thank you for that much love. Thank you that you love us that much. And Lord, help us to understand that deeper and deeper as we go from here. In your name, amen.